The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. And this week, we are going to return to the realm of serial killers. Last week, Krako uh, gave us the incredibly heartbreaking tale of Waco and Ruby Ridge. And today, I am going to take you around the globe to Russia. Here we go with the fun name pronunciation. I will apologize to anybody Russian. I am probably going to be murdering a lot of words tonight. Today. Yep, as we do. So to set the scene for this chilling story... I just felt like saying chilling story for some reason. I put it in my notes. Um, I'm going to start out. a very spicy word to add a little razzle dazzle. (laughs) All I can think of is that cat meme of where it looks like he's dancing and he's like giving the old razzle dazzle. Ah, yes. (sighs) I love that meme. Quality memes. I'm going to start with a quote from the trial of this gentleman where he said, a first killing is like your first love. You never forget it. I mean, (laughs) yes, but actually no. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to turn and run away now, it's fine. So the year is 1992. Oddly enough, this is taking place at the same time as your story last week. President George Bush and Russian President Boris Yeltsin met to formally declare the end of the Cold War. Queen Elizabeth II was celebrating her Ruby Jubilee, which is 40 years since the accession to their throne. In Milwaukee, Jeffrey Dahmer was convicted of 15 life terms in prison. The beating of Rodney King triggered the LA riots, which resulted in over 12,000 people being arrested and over $1 billion of damage to the city. In the United States, the presidential election was going on and Bill Clinton defeated George Bush and Ross Perot. In Russia, Andrei Chikatilo, known as the Rostov Ripper, was convicted of murdering 52 people. At the time, Chikatilo was known as Russia's most notorious serial killer. And some people believe that this arrest and conviction sparked a very dark competition of serial killing. I don't, I don't like, I, I mean, I don't think serial killing should become a competition. I don't think those two words should ever, should ever go together. Yeah, it should, shouldn't exist. So first we're going to take a little bit of a step back. Alexander Pachushkin was born April 9th, 1974. He lived with his mother Natasha in a two bedroom apartment located about a five or six minute walk from Betsevsky Park in Moscow. The building is known as a Trushchotki 
which is a large-scale public housing project that started with the Soviet Union and it allowed low-income families to have an actual home. Yeah, I've seen um hmm? I've seen photos of those apartments. It's literally just really tall gray blocks of concrete. There's no paint, there's no nothing. It's just as plain as you can get. Yeah, but it's better than being homeless. That, yeah, this is true, but just saying it's very it's kind of creepy looking. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, when you're doing large-scale public housing like that, you're looking at the bottom line, and giant gray concrete blocks are cheap. Yeah, I mean, I mean tons of concrete. We need houses, we got concrete. There, there you go. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen, they, um, in recent years, have developed a 3D printer that will print like layers of cement and concrete and create Oh yeah, buildings. I've seen that. Uh, they actually, there it was a competition to figure out early housing on Mars. Like how could we send some sort of something to Mars and create these, uh, you know, safe habitations. And the winning one was 3D printed where they basically put this robot down and it goes around in circles and creates it almost looks like a beehive and then inside it gets in you know different things get installed and yeah. then there's a habitation yeah i saw a uh, i actually got recommended a video about that um where there's a company that does housing for people that need it like low-income housing and mm -hmm. stuff like that um it built it built like an actual not just like a circular beehive just not, nothing very basic like built an actual small one bedroom yeah. home yeah and the ones that they're doing on earth are amazing yeah like it, it only needs very minimal human work done to it afterwards but the majority of it's done with 3d printing with concrete yeah it's so cool all right so the park is nestled between the Chernovka and Bitsa rivers and is one of the largest natural parks in Russia, covering approximately 18 square kilometers, which is about 4,500 acres. It's considered a lot of a, land. It's a lot of land. And it is considered a lesoparky, which is a combination of traditional cultivated park. You know, if you think like Grand Central Park or something like that, as well as wild woodlands. So it is a combination of the two. So basically, they needed a big old green space to complement their large cinder block like apartment links. Yeah, it's very, very popular because it is an escape from city life. You can go for a bike ride, you can go fishing, you can have picnics, you can go horseback riding get out in nature a little bit so i will say uh the the common name for the park is pizza park which is a lot easier for me to say so i will from here on out be calling it pizza pizza park instead of bitsevsky i at that point it just sounds like it's they've got like tiny little plots of like green spaces that they have they designate as parks and it's, it's like it's just park just bits of park, yeah. As a small child, Alexander was a normal, happy, and sociable little boy. 
But at age four, this changed when he suffered a head injury. While he was playing on the swings, he fell backward. And while he was on the ground, the metal swing struck him in the forehead. Within the brain... Whose idea was it to make the swings out of metal? Aren't they Uh, usually like plastic? Nowadays. Who Who made a metal swing? Did you ever go down a metal sliding board as a kid? Oh, you mean the little frying pan? Yeah. Yeah, so when I was a kid, swings were a lot more heavy duty. <laughs> uh, there. So I remember some where they had like metal sides and like this thick rubber center part that was like stiffer than a tire. Yeah. I, I've been hit with those. It no feel good. Uh, I've, so- I've had those. Yeah, those, those are not good, but I can't imagine just like solid metal. I mean, they've evolved over the years. And it might have been the metal part. I'm not 100% sure. Mm, but, been, yeah. you know, this was back in the uh, late 70s. So, or, yeah, like 78. Oh, yeah. Th- things were different. So Things yeah. were different back then. So within the brain, the frontal cortex is the area behind your forehead. And this controls your impulses and aggression. Because he was so young... His skull was still softer. It did not add the same amount of protection that an adult skull does. And it leads doctors in retrospect to think that the injury caused brain damage to the frontal cortex. And following the accident, Alexander was a completely different child. He became hostile, impulsive, and it led to other children bullying him both verbally and physically. The abuse fueled his aggression and made things worse. His mom decided to transfer him from the public school to a private institute for children with learning disabilities because he was he was struggling so much with school. I can kind of like looking through her eyes. She just didn't know what else to do. So she was yeah. trying to take care of her son as and he that- that, that comes back to, again, the whole thing with serial killers and it being like them not getting the help that they need because the way I'm picking up from the story so far is that this probably wouldn't have happened had he not gotten hit in the head with the swing. It's amazing at how many of the well-known serial killers had a head injury in their childhood. And that, that just, it's just fascinating to me. And I'm sure it is to you as well, like how the human brain works in that yeah. sense that just that that event like that, that seems just like a minor event could make such a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy because um, Ramirez, Bundy, Gacy, Manson, all of them have documented head trauma in their life, whether it was before or after birth. Uh, some of them, it, you know, they their mother got hit in the stomach when they were pregnant Others, um, you know, they they fell and hit their head. They got, you know, something like that. Like this, he got hit yeah. in the head with a swing. Uh, and it also depends on what part of the brain is affected. So, you know, with him, it was the frontal cortex, which makes you aggressive and impulsive. And you just want to lash out. And that's, that's breeding up a killer right there. Uh, along and... with so many other factors. Along with that, too, that's just like for the longest time, people that were that need that extra help with like mental issues and stuff like that. The common treatment was like, hey, they're not acting like everyone else. 
let's resort to a lobotomy and mess around with their brain because we can fix them. Like just like shock therapy and yeah, like horrible things. Really, that just makes it worse. Yeah. Or causes a whole other issue. Yeah. Well, when they lobotomize people, they just turn into a shell of a human. So, as he reached early adolescence, Alexander's grandfather recognized that he was actually really intelligent. And he felt that Alexander's talents were being wasted. You know, he wasn't involved in social activities. The school that he attended, while they were very good at focusing on overcoming disabilities, they didn't really worry about achievement or recognizing achievement or any kind of social endeavors. So at this time, he moved in with his grandfather and he was encouraged to find activities outside of school. He still attended school, still went through all that, but he was trying to find something outside that he could really find a passion and what he gravitated towards was chess. Now, interesting. Uh, in Russia... Parks are famous for having these long rows of tables filled with chess players, no matter rain, shine, snow, anything. And after he learned the game from his grandfather, he started using the strategy and domination of chess to channel his aggression. So he had these aggressive impulses, but when he was playing the game, he got everything out. And soon he was even introduced into exhibition games against older components. You know, he was playing against men who have been playing chess far longer than he had been alive. However, and I guess it's I, I, I know where we've got a however here, but like, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's good when things happen like that. And like it and when it works that they can find something to channel all of that and like put it into something that's not harmful to themselves or anyone but yeah. we have that however. Well, even though he was doing so well at chess, he continued to be bullied by other children. So that didn't help. But, you know, he always had chess and he had his grandfather. But towards the end of his adolescence, his grandfather passed away. And this, it's heartbreaking to anyone to lose a close family member like that but he just kind of lost his grasp on everything. And he turned to a different type of solace, vodka. Of course. <sighs> yeah. So, I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to kind of outline what he's gone through, um, head trauma, bullying, physical bullying as well. So verbal and physical bullying. Now, the loss of the one family member who really shown him how to excel, shown him the light, gave him a purpose, gave him something to enjoy, gave him a passion, and now he, he lost it all, and he started drinking. <laughs> so we are just stirring a cauldron of badness. It's, it's one of those, it's, you're at the point where it's just like, where, where's the breaking point in all of this? It's just like it's all building up. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So the alcohol dulled the pain, calmed his aggression temporarily. 
he would play chess in Bits of Park. He would also join the older men in drinking vodka as they played. But unlike his opponents, the alcohol didn't affect his gameplay. He continued to stay clear and dominate the, uh, the chess board. Now, as he filled some of his time at the chess tables, he also developed a second hobby. Anytime he knew he was going to come into contact with children, he would take a video camera and then film himself threatening them so he could later watch his own dominance. Um, oh. Fair enough. I <laughs> thought we were about to go right into it and you were going to say he had another hobby, murder. Not yet. Somehow, somehow this is not any better. No, on one occasion, he held a young child upside down by one leg out of a window and said, you are in my power now. Yeah, no, no, no. Probably best you don't do that. His prowess on the chessboard and this bullying and this filming of the bullying that he could rewatch only fulfilled him for so long. In 1992, he was 18 years old. On July 27th, he arranged to meet with his best friend and classmate, uh, Mikhail Odichuk, who they had discussed committing murder. They that's just something you discuss, right? They started developing this crazy plan to kill 64 people. The number 64 had two very important meanings to Pachushkin. First, it was the number of squares on a chessboard. And he wanted to surpass the 52 deaths caused by the Rostov Ripper. I feel like when you set goals in life, you shouldn't look at serial killers and then take that as like a record you want to beat. You think? I'm pretty sure I shouldn't have to say it, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You sh you shouldn't you shouldn't want to try to beat serial killer's records. Yeah. You shouldn't look at it as a record. Odachuk didn't realize that Petrushkin was actually serious, and then when they were supposed to carry out the first kill, Odachuk backed out, and Petrushkin thought that he was teasing him, and this. It, it wasn't, it, it, it didn't embarrass him, it didn't hurt him, it enraged him. Petushkin pulled a hammer out of his bag and beat his friend to death. After... I, I, I feel like, I know we said fire was the worst way to go, but I feel like getting beat with a hammer is like pretty close to fire. <sighs> Just a guess. So, to... to elaborate a little bit on what we talked about last week when you are on fire it's not just flesh and meat burning it makes your bones contract and your entire skeleton and you feel everything you feel everything yeah, I, isn't there? I, I could be wrong, but I think there's should be like a certain point where the nerve endings are just dead, and it, you don't really feel it. But I think at that point, you're you're kind of dead at that point. But yeah, 
And I mean, there is smoke insulation and those types of things, as well as when you breathe in the fire, it's going to, you know, fuse all the nerve endings, but it is an extremely slow, painful, horrible way to die. Yeah, no, 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 no thank you. Uh, now, I'm no, not saying I would like to be beaten with a hammer either, but... Yeah, you're right. If I had to pick, I'd choose the hammer. So after striking Odachuk over 20 times with the hammer, Pachushkin dumped his body down a well and returned home as though nothing happened. Odachuk's body was discovered the next day and an investigation started. Witnesses had seen Pachushkin with him heading into the park, which led to his arrest and questioning. However, there was no evidence, and Pachushkin said that, oh yeah, we hung out in the park, and then I went home, and he was fine. He was still alive. He was, everything was great. So the police had absolutely no evidence, and they released him. That was mistake number one. Uh, yeah. In September of 1992, Pachushkin was romantically rejected by his neighbor, Olga, because she was already in a relationship with a man named Sergei. To get rid of his romantic rival, Pachushkin allegedly threw Sergei out of a window. However, police officially ruled it as a suicide. But I, mm, I mean, he held a child out of a window. Yeah, he did, killed did, his best have, friend. Do, do they not have like record of him holding the child out the window? Was this never reported? I feel like the. Child I feel like it was someone. not reported at this time. Yeah. Afraid of possible punishments for his murders, including the death penalty, Pachushkin stopped killing until Russia placed a moratorium on the death penalty. Uh, do you know what a moratorium is? I need a memory refresher. I do, but for the life of me at the moment, I can't think of what it is. They basically, like a, they basically freeze a law while they discuss changing it. You know, so they're like, we're not going to okay, do the death penalty. Okay, that's what I thought, but... Yeah, and apparently they were trying to get into the European Union, and one of the things was you can't have the death penalty. So they're like, okay, let's hang on, hang on, just hold on to this. We're going to put it in our pocket. No death penalty right now, right? And that... I guess that's all he needed. So this legal development reignited his interest in murder. I, so, <sighs> as much as I hate to say it, it sounds like the death penalty is, is a good deterrent. At least in this case, it was. In this case, unfortunately, yes. I just... I feel like... You shouldn't need the threat of the death penalty to not kill people. No, no, you shouldn't, but... Yeah. Unfortunately, it's like that sometimes. So as an adult, Pachushkin got a job at a grocery store. His co-workers described him as quiet, maybe a little strange, but not dangerous. <laughs> he was unassuming, and he maintained this employment as he involved into the monster that was later dubbed the Bitsa Maniac. On May 17th of 2001, Petrushkin was playing chess in Bitsa Park with 52-year-old Yevgeny Pranin. Petrushkin had formerly owned a dog. Apparently, he was a huge animal lover, which is actually very odd for serial killers who often... Yeah, I was going to say... He told Pranin that it was the anniversary of his pet's death. 
He asked the man to take a walk with him to visit the grave in an isolated part of the park. Well, they shared a toast to the departed companion, uh, drank a little bit of vodka, and then Pachushkin struck him over the head with the bottle of vodka. After he was dead, again, Pachushkin uh, disposed of the body by dumping it into a well. What now, is it this, with this dude and dumping the body in a well? It was part of his thing. It was part of his thing. He, um, Fair enough. Yeah, he used the the wells and sewage system of the park to dispose of the bodies, and some of them I had read, I didn't actually put it in the stuff that I wrote here, but some of them would make it all the way to the uh, waste disposal plant, which was miles away. What was, the, like, did that not affect, like, their their drinking water, or did it not? What was the sewage? This is the, the uh, stuff yeah, that goes the down the potty. Yeah, I was just thinking when you said well that it was like that could get into the groundwater and cause problems there, but I guess well, it was... Well, interesting enough, it seems like the bodies that went down the well, and I also am not sure if... Because a, a lot of information on the case had to be translated because it is a Russian case. So I'm not sure if it was a well traditionally the way that we think of it, like a water well. Or if it was something with the sewage system, like a pipe or something. I'm not yeah. sure on that one. If, it's, if it goes into the sewage, it sounds like it's like a storm drain almost. Yeah. Yeah. Or like some sort of like, not canal, but you know, like... I, I, I watch too many movies and TV shows, but you know how like when you go down into the sewers, there's like walkways on the two sides and then there's like a just like a, a canal uh that the the waste and the water and the, all the stuff goes through in the center yeah yeah so I, i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure what exactly they mean by a well having another taste of murder this time petrushkin did not stop between may 2001 and september of 2005 he attacked 36 victims and killed 33 of them many were older homeless people that he would approach in Bitskog Park with the lure of vodka. After allowing them to drink as much as they wanted, he would strike them over the head with either a hammer or the bottle of vodka that they were sharing. The body of a woman was discovered in 2002, which Petrushkin later confessed as the murder of Olga, which is the woman that he killed Sergei for, but this was never confirmed to be her or to be his actual kill. On February 23rd, 2002, Petrushkin lured Maria Virachieva into Bitsa Park. She had a fight with her boyfriend who left her and she was crying. She was obviously upset. Petrushkin pretended to comfort her before persuading her to join him in the park. Let's, let's go take a walk. The pregnant saleswoman was then pushed into the same well that he had used before to dispose of victims. As she clung to the sides to stop her fall, he grabbed her hair and used it to hit her head against the stone walls until she fell. Thinking she was dead, he left, but she was still alive. She managed to not only survive the fall, but to climb out of the well and get help with no harm coming to her child. That's good, but like, I, I don't know which is worse, like getting attacked in the park and thrown down the well or surviving the fall down the well and having to climb back out. I mean, I'm sure she was very happy to survive. Yeah, no, 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 it's, it's great she survived, but, like, yeah. that had to have been horrible. Yes, it did. 
Uh, I also did see that she put the baby up for adoption, but it was a perfectly healthy little child and hopefully went on to have a great life. She reported the attack to police. However, she did not have proper registration papers for Moscow. And since she was technically there illegally, the claim was dropped. So that is another, a lot of times these stories have just moment after moment of, they got arrested. Oh, they were let go. Hey, we get pinned on them. Oh, they were let go. So yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of, of that. I've, I've noticed a theme here. Another survivor, Mikhail Lobov, was a 13-year-old boy that was led into the park with the promise of cigarettes and vodka. He had been, uh, I guess, like in America, you would maybe call him like a punk. So, you know, the kids with the, the leather jackets and the piercings and the mohawks, and they hung out and loitered and caused trouble. Yeah. So he was lured into the park and Pachushkin struck him over the head. And again, pushed him down the well. Again, he thought the boy was dead. Sounds like Wait. this is the point where he gets sloppy with his work. <sighs> well, Mikhail's jacket snagged onto a piece of metal that kept him from plummeting all the way down into the icy waters. And he was able to climb out. A few days later, he confronted Pachushkin at the train station. But there was a threat of getting arrested all that stuff, and it got dropped. So again, he just slipped through their fingers. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it is crazy whenever you do something like what we do, and you go through a bunch of stories like that, and you see just how often they have them in custody several times, and then they just let them go because there's nothing to make it stick. Yeah, and I, I do understand that that is unfortunately part of the legal process you can't just throw people in jail without evidence yeah. and without proof but it's still it's so frustrating the third survivor during this time period was Konstantin Polikarpov a neighbor of Pachushkin's he was bludgeoned in the head and thrown down the well but due to the head trauma he didn't remember what happened so again nobody knew he he just he had head trauma, he woke up, everything was black. So again, nothing nothing happened with that survivor. This one broke my heart a little bit. I don't know the name, but victim number 32 uh, disappeared in the spring of 2003. Pachushkin asked the man, if you had one wish, what would it be? And the man replied that he would quit drinking. Pachushkin then told him, I promise you, today will be the day you stop drinking. And after walking deep into the park's woodlands, Pachushkin bludgeoned and murdered the man. That's like Poe level dark. Yeah, I don't know if you like Edgar Allan Poe, but... Yes, I have several books with all of his work in it, so... I yes. Okay, then you really should watch... We talked about the following last episode. You really should watch that, because it's very I'm a fan of Poe, uh, especially... HP Lovecraft, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Oh, this is this is very uh, the the main bad guy is obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe, and it comes up a lot. I don't want to give too much away. You need to watch the show. Yes. In October of 2005, Petrushkin's MO changed. He continued to bludgeon his victims over the head, but he's and 
this made me a little squirmish. He would then shove a vodka bottle into the wound in their skull. Because he, why not? <sighs> yeah. He always attacked his victims from behind. The first reason was the element of surprise. They don't see it coming. The second reason was to keep blood from getting on his clothing and staining his clothes. And then at this time, he also altered his victim pool to include younger men, women, and children. And it's very interesting that 10 of his victims actually lived in that same uh, four-building housing complex that he lived in. Now, they're very large complexes. A lot of people live there, so it's not like there's 10 families and all of a sudden 10 people disappear. You know, it's a little, little different scale, but still, 10 yeah. of the victims were from close by. Just a case of there's plenty of people around. It's hard to notice. Yeah, yeah. You know, one in five people is noticeable. One in 500 is not. So on November 16th, 2005, the body of a former police officer, Nikolai Zakarchenko, was discovered out in the open instead of being disposed in a well or sewer line. Presumably, this was a taunt or a challenge for police. Zakarchenko was the 41st victim, but this was the first time investigators pieced together that there was a serial killer on the loose. Pachushkin also, after this, continued to leave the bodies out in the open as he became so confident it was pretty much to the extent of being cocky about his deeds. Yeah, I seem to, again, with the whole pattern thing, there, there really is a pattern with serial killers. It's like they're careful. They don't get caught at first. They might get picked up by the police and then let go because nothing sticks. Then they reach that phase where they're so confident that they slip up. Oh, they'll never catch and me. Yeah. It, they always have that phase, it seems, where it's like, I'm never going to get caught. I can do whatever I want. I can send letters. I can be brave. I can taunt the police. But then there's always something that it's that that causes them to slip up. On April 12th, Petrushkin killed a co-worker from the grocery store named Larissa Kuligina. And then on June 14th, he approached another co-worker, Marina Moskalyova, to take a walk with him at Bits Apart. Even with the disappearance still fresh, she agreed. Now, at first, Petrushkin was unaware that she had left a note for her son telling him where she was going, that she was going to be with Petrushkin, and she even included his phone number as a contact just in case he needed anything. He also did not realize that she had placed her metro ticket in her pocket, which allowed for a trail on CCTV. I did read one source that said as they were talking... She told him that she had left a note for her son and he decided to go through with his plan anyway. Other ones that he had no idea that she had left a note. So I'm not sure if he had consciously made the decision to just say screw it and go forward. But he unfortunately struck her over the head and dumped her body. Now, police finally had evidence to arrest Kachushkin. His name was on the note. His phone number was there. He was on CCTV, seen walking with the victim into Bitsa Park right before she died. And two days later, he was in custody. At first, they thought his victim count might be in the low teens. 
However, they soon discovered just how many lives he had taken. And that must be like difficult for the police and the detectives to have picked up this guy before. So like they they know of him, but they didn't connect him to any of this. And then later on, find out that oh, he's a serial killer. He must have just started. He's his like I guess body count would be low. But then they find out that, oh, he's actually been doing this for a really long time without us noticing. Well, and that's one of the things that's very scary when they prey on, you know, the homeless and transient population. Because either they're never reported missing, no one knows that they're gone, people think they just, you know, went off and you know, moved to another town, moved to another thing. You know, every now and then people would file him as missing, you know, missing reports report that was never solved. Yeah. But, you know, especially when you prey on those people who don't have much in life, it's very easy to get them swept under the rug, which is horrible and so sad. So after his arrest, Pachushkin told police that he would publicly confess to his crimes, but only if he was allowed to do so on live television. Police set up microphones from all the major television networks. They had a bunch of cameras and he thought it was a real press conference. But the only people watching were the investigators. During the oh, confession, was a hidden camera interview. Well, I mean, they, the, the cameras weren't hidden. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. It was. Okay, yeah, I don't know what to call it then. It was basically, he thought it was a press conference. It was just. Yeah. An interview. Yep, it was just an interview. So during the confession, he admitted and detailed 61 murders. He stated, why did I kill? I don't know. There was no sense in life for me without this. That That's pretty bad and kind of sad, too, that he felt that that's all he had and was murder. Oh, we got some more quotes later that make it worse. So with his arrest, the police were able to collect his logbook detailing each kill, as well as a chessboard he used as a trophy. Each kill, he would mark a square with a coin to track his victim count. Now, I'm not sure if it was just a random coin or if it was a coin he removed from the victim. I didn't. I wasn't able to find that out, but he did clearly have 61 of the 64 squares marked off. Later, he led investigators through Bitsa Park, explaining his crimes in great detail. A common Russian police practice is to film reenactments of the crimes, which he participated in. And at this time, he revealed that not all of his murders used the signature blow to the back of the head. But some were committed by throwing his victims down into the sewer lines and having them drown. During the press conference, he was asked why. And he said, and this is a quote, For me, life without murder is like life without food for you. I felt like the father of all these people since it was me who opened the door for them to another world. Pachushkin also admitted that many of his victims were people that he knew. And he said, again, a quote, The closer a person is to you and the better you know them, the more pleasurable it is to kill them. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah no. 
No. He has also been on record saying that if he hadn't been caught, he would have continued killing far past the 64. Doctors at the Serbsky Institute in Moscow pronounced Petrushkin sane after a full examination, and he was allowed to stand trial. His mother has been interviewed and said how he was just such an ordinary child. He loved animals. They would watch their favorite show together. Somehow, he managed to hide the monster from his family, his co-workers, customers at the grocery store. Like, nobody had any idea. Nobody would have been like, oh yeah, that's your guy. I don't know what's scarier, for, for me at least, like... If they pronounce them insane, or if they pronounce them sane, because like if they're insane, then it's like, oh well, that's the reasoning for doing it. But if they're sane and completely aware of what they're doing, then it's like that. To me, that I think I feel like that makes it a little bit more scary and like worse. Yeah, because if you are classified as insane, you probably can't help what you're doing. You don't. You're just. You you need some sort of help. I mean, he obviously needs some sort of help, but yeah. he is not just off in left field. Like, he, he very, very much knows what he is doing. And, and he's aware of where, where he's at, what's going on, and what he's doing. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's very terrifying. During his 2007 trial, similar to his rival, Chikatilo, Petushkin spent the trial confined to a giant glass box for his own protection. So you can imagine a giant glass box just in the center of the courtroom with a man in a suit inside of it. This is another one of those obscure serial killers that I haven't heard of, but like that just makes me think of the Silence of the Lambs movie with Hannibal Lecter in the cage in the middle of the room. And it makes you wonder if like some stuff like that is has been taken from like this, well, this, this case and then... I believe this happened after Silence of the Lambs was made. Oh, I'm not well. sure. The trial lasted for 46 days, but it only took the jury three hours to convict Petrushkin to 49 counts of murder and three counts of attempted murder, because those are the things that could be proven. But he asked the judge to raise the number because it was not fair to forget about the other 11. Uh, okay then, um, fair. He also complained that he had been denied the title of Russia's most notorious serial killer because of the 11 victims were not added to his official total. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay then. You know, he was convicted of 49 and Chikatilo was convicted of 52. So that's, that's basically his thing. He thought he was going to be an infamous serial killer. Oh, he so is. He wanted to break a record. Well, yeah, he he still is, but he's just not. He the wanted most to break a, a number record. Yeah. He was given life imprisonment, and the judge declared that the first fifteen years of his sentence was to be spent in solitary confinement. He is serving his sentence in the Arctic penal colony called Polar Owl, which he has publicly branded a concentration camp. Now, from what I have heard penal colonies are horrific and especially one that is in the arctic would be i'm sure a very miserable existence however 
I still don't know if that is enough to pay for ending 61 lives. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... I, that's... Yeah. Like, I feel you're, you're alive, Pachushkin. Possibly, you know, some people would say that's more than you deserve. So, right. yeah, yeah, you have of to... What he did. You have to work real hard and you live in a penal camp, but you're still alive, my dude. That is the story of the chessboard killer. That was very interesting. Again, that's that's one that I've never heard of. Yeah, it's it's not one of the the biggest known ones, but for me, the the tie-in of the chess, as well as the fact that he wasn't suffering from hallucinations or saying that some greater power made him do it. He wasn't. He was sane. He yeah. Was perfectly. And he didn't, he didn't actually exhibit, exhibit any of the common triad of, he was, he was the exact opposite of cruel to animals. He was not a fire starter and there was no documentation and his mother said he was completely ordinary. So he probably wasn't a bedwetter and, you know, he was just. And yeah, like I said, that's what makes it a little more scary is that. He was, for the most part, normal. Even after he was arrested and the investigators were sitting in the cells talking to him, interviewing him, they said he was just completely middle-of-the-road ordinary. He didn't have hard opinions. He didn't, you know, raise his voice. He didn't, you know, he was just very, just vanilla, beige dude. There, There is, so the the quote-unquote press conference at the time they did not release it to the public they didn't they didn't want him on live tv because the families were you know mourning the losses and discovering that their family member was killed by a serial killer um obviously they wanted to to not do that to the families but uh in i think it was last year 2021 and they finally released the video from the archives and it's all in russian <laughs> so it might not be a great watch if you don't speak Russian. I don't speak Russian, but I found it interesting. Very, just just like you and I talking right now. It, you know, it's it, yeah. like for me, I know um, one time I hit a squirrel and I had to pull the car over because I was sobbing so hard because I unfortunately hit this poor little creature with my car. And I mean, yeah. it happens. It's, <laughs> but like, I was. You can help, but. But yeah, I was. Yeah. I had to pull over on the side of the road because I was sobbing uncontrollably. And this guy outlined brutally murdering 61 people and attempting three murders as though he was talking about lunch. Yeah, that's. That's insane. I was. Um, you were talking about the, uh, the penal colony that he's in. Um, polar owl I've, I've never heard of that so i was interested in looking up like where that's located and everything he, re he really is out in the middle of nowhere from what i have heard they are not they're not very they're not treated very well they no. are they conduct heavy labor they obviously are given enough to survive 
they have basic food, basic water, but you know, it's not like you're going to be in strength training with high amounts of protein that you can go and survive out in the wilderness for a few days. It's You'll be given just enough to keep you alive, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Like I said, from what I've heard, um, borderline inhumane. Uh, I know not a lot of countries have them because of the treatment of the the prisoners, but yeah, yeah, he's he's not he's not going. He's in the worst place he could be. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of like to see him in the cage from Temple of Doom, but fair enough. Kalima. I mean, that's that's understandable. That's that's getting back into the the cult thing. So I mean. <laughs> All right, so that is the story of Alexander Pachushkin. And I do want to say thank you guys for listening. As always, you can find the show notes on thesquonkandthehag.com. And I will hand it over to Krakow. Oh, we, 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 doing, we doing the Krakow outro again? You always do the okay bye. Fair enough. Krakow and Mo away. Okay, bye.